0: Good morning, everybody. Our Bible readings today are something old, something new. The first one is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 31 through to chapter 2, verse 3 on page 2 of our Bibles. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Our second reading is Hebrews. It's on page 1206, 1206 in our Bibles. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, through to chapter 4, verse 13. Page 1206. And it starts with a warning against unbelief. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me through, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on earth in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For you also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience... God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing In all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Chris is my name. If you haven't, um, if you've been away for a while, which uh, some, some of you do. Go away for a little bit. I understand some of you go to Europe for um, for the warm period of the year, which is which is not bad. but you'll take some of us with you next time. Can I pray? As we just read, Heavenly Father, Your Word is living and active, and it gets right into our lives. And You You tell us how we're going, and You tell us how You want us to change. So we pray today, Lord, as we open Your Word together, that Indeed, we will be clear on where we stand with you currently, and what needs to be done that we might keep trusting you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question. It's a perfectly personal question. Would you say you're going to heaven? On on the great train line of life. As you progress from station to station, I'm doing this because just up where we live, there's the new light rail being opened today. <laughs> As you progress from station to station, what awaits you at the final stop, the end of the line? Um, I'm getting older, I turned 70 this year, which is, I mean, nothing to some of you and, and an, uh, amazing to others who are younger. Um, I find I'm more alert to those passages in the scriptures which speak about heaven and related areas. because I'm really interested, because I guess I'm getting closer to that time where um, God will uh, bring my life to a close and Jesus will say, come with me, it's time for us to, to come and share what you've been waiting for. I want to ask the question, what's heaven like? We know it's not a case of sitting around on a cloud with a harp, Um, You just have to look at me to know that I I couldn't cope with that. Um, I'm too physically heavy to accomplish that. But we do recognise that heaven is our ultimate hope. We know it's going to be magnificent to be there. In fact, glorious beyond understanding. You might pile up the, 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 the wonderful words. It's going to be something to look forward to with eager expectation. In fact, Paul sort of summarises all of that um, by saying in 1 Corinthians, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. It's a sort of um, a wonderful expression, but we'd like more information. <laughs> but it's certainly incredibly positive. Sharing the blessings of God in His presence, that's the great prize, isn't it? That's the great prize, the ultimate joy and satisfaction we are wanting to ultimately end at. And through the course of the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has been giving us various pictures of heaven. What's what's its nature? What's it like? Just in other parts of this book, the book of Hebrews, the writer uses terms like homeland, a better place, a heavenly city, a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the assembly of the firstborn. There's quite a few terms. And if you go outside of Hebrews, of course, there's lots of other terms used about heaven. And every term that's used, it's it's like a picture that points us to the richness and the generosity of God's blessing. And it teaches us a a specific character uh, of what characteristic of what it's going to be like to be there, just from a slightly different angle. And the picture we're getting today in this passage is a picture of God's rest. God's rest. So let's talk about, firstly, what entering God's rest means in the scriptures. That can be our first task. And I would suggest to you that the writer and the Bible as a whole gives that word rest uh, various levels of meaning. Uh, fundamentally, to his thinking, it, lying at the very heart of it, is the, is the thought uh, that comes out of Genesis 1 that was just read. Uh, and it's the Sabbath rest of God. God uh, created and then he rested. He's still resting today. We, we live in the period of his Sabbath rest. It doesn't mean he's not working because remember what Jesus said? Uh, he said, uh, I am working and my father is working. So it's not, he's not just sitting there <laughs> but he's uh, in a, a period of Sabbath rest and will be until Jesus returns. He will be forever. This reminds you from Genesis. So the heavens and earth and everything in were completed and by the seventh day God completed his work that he'd done He rested on the seventh day. He blessed it. He said, for on it I rested from the work of creation. And it's a rest of completion and a rest of full satisfaction. He looked at what he'd done. It was very good. That's God's Sabbath rest. The wonderful thing, of course, is it's something that he's prepared to share with us. And you'll see that in chapter 4 verse 9, There's a fair bit of dips into the passage, so I'll try and uh, slow down at that point. But at 4 verse 9 he says, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered God's rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. There's this wonderful picture. Um, You may have experienced it this week. I did when I finished the sermon, preparing it. (laughs) Matt would do it every, probably, said Saturday night, sometimes it's Sunday morning. But, you know, when you've, you've got a deadline, you've got to do something by a certain time, the, the adrenaline's running, you're working hard on it, and, and it's sort of coming slowly, and then finally you finish it. You know that sort of euphoric sort of sense? Ah, it's done. <laughs> Can you imagine that when you're talking about your entire life? Because that's what we're talking about here your entire life of service to Jesus, in all its various aspects, is finished. And you're living your eternity with Jesus in God's rest. It's a wonderful picture. And uh, it's a picture that this writer keeps on saying, don't miss out on it. Don't miss out. Make sure you're there. So he takes us back for some examples of where people missed out. And, of course, the obvious one, is um, he reminds us, it, it, David put Psalm 95 together, and that's, that's the quote that's there in that passage, at Psalm 95. But David was looking even further back to when the, uh, God's people came out of Egypt and, and were tra- travelling to the Promised Land. Do you remember, when they got to the edge of the Promised Land, God said, send 12 spies in to, to see the best way to take this land over, And they came back sort of shivering and saying, there's no way in the world we could beat those people. You brought us all this way, and now look at where we are. We're in a hopeless situation. And they began to cry and to moan and to complain. God forgave them for that. But you remember, he did discipline them, because they had to wander for another 40 years. In fact, he said, okay... Everyone who is 21 and over, by my judgement, shall not therefore enter my rest. You're not going into Canaan. And that's what happened, of course. 40 years, that generation died, and the new generation had risen. They're the ones who ended up in Canaan, uh, under God's blessing. Uh, Now, Canaan was a land of milk and honey. It was a beautiful place, very green, rained a lot. Um, unlike Sydney but it was only a taste I think that's important it was a wonderful thing and they were so glad to be there but it was only a taste it was only an introduction to what God's rest means God makes it clear in chapter 4 verse 8 for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken later about another day therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people It was wonderful, but it was just a taste. But it wasn't its finality. We also hear from Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, He's talking to various people, and and then he he laid this authoritative call on them, this magnificent call, where he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. He doesn't mean that you can, you can just shelve all your plans and go and have a nap. <laughs> what he means is, I will lead you into my Father's rest. You could sort of put it in these sorts of words, in my words but trying to capture the idea. In me you will find the truth about life. You'll find its meaning and its purpose. You'll find your identity and you'll find a future. In me, you'll cease from dashing about here and there, considering this religion, trying that philosophy, carrying out those strict practices. You can cease from being personally driven to discover the truth because I will set you free You will find freedom in me. I'm the source of truth. I will bring you to God. I'll give you the rest of forgiveness, the rest of assurance, and the rest of love. You will know I've won your salvation. You will be secure in me. I will give you rest in the very midst of the events of your life, and the more you trust in me, the more you will know the reality of that rest. Just trying, to attempting to get... into the idea of what Jesus meant when he made that incredible offer to us. But Jesus confirms the way into God's rest and that includes, do you remember, a seal and a down payment of a generous inheritance to ensure us he will get us there. He will get us there. But as the knife man uh, advertising knife says, that's not all. That's not all, there's still more. Because what this man is talking about in our passage today is that our present rest in Jesus, when we we've come to know and love him and we're trusting him, that he will open up to a full and eternal share in the Sabbath rest of God that we were speaking about earlier. When our service of Jesus on this earth is completed, we will rest in him, transformed and fulfilled. And that's the ultimate prize isn't it that's our great hope and that's the promise made by jesus and by uh, god in the past various occasions and of course through this passage we have to ask a question though because this this passage is a what we might call a sober passage we ask the question who does god share his gift of rest with And in chapter 3, verse 12, there's a watch out. A watch out, very deliberate and and with lots of feeling. It's a warning not to be one of those who will not share his rest. In chapter 3, verse 7, there's the quote from Psalm 95, starting with today. In other words, listen today to what I'm saying. And it outlines a warning God gives to every generation. Those who left Egypt on their way to the Promised Land, they started well. God got them out of Egypt, which was an incredible feat in itself. Um, Protected them from the Egyptian army, brought them through. But when they came to the point of entering, as we said before, they failed. They would not trust him because they weren't looking beyond human possibilities. God graciously forgave them on that occasion, although, as we said, he disciplined them by not letting the 21s and overs go in. During that 40 years, he continued to heap up his care, to heap up his provision, to heap up his blessing. But they failed to trust him again again and again you read the account you'll see what what he means they heard the magnificent generous promises that he made to them they saw the way he backed up all those promises by providing and protecting them on on multiple occasions but they did not listen he says they did not learn what he is like because they weren't interested and in the end as they, in a sense, tested him to see how far his patients would go, he said, that's enough, that's enough. You are not going in to share my rest. Now, um, that disastrous lesson has become a warning to every today generation, including ourselves. King King David, he wrote Psalm ninety-five. He he looked back and he 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 drew the the um, historical record into his psalm, and then the people of his day used to worship, used it in worship, um, and uh, sing it and, and say it. And then this writer, his generation, he passionately passionately challenges them to maintain their faith. He uses this warning, and in our own generation, we we're looking at this warning today as so many generations have we're considering what's the right response to God's grace in the Lord Jesus and here's a warning to to not take that lightly so it's clear that for some they will never enter God's rest now I I know that runs totally contrary to the community sense that in the end everybody should get in but that's not what God says that's not what we're taught here Um, Those who don't go on trusting God and living the way he directs, he will not share his rest with. And when you think about it, that makes sense. That makes sense because if God doesn't hold me responsible for my response to him and the way I live out my life, I will think to myself, he doesn't regard my life as of much account. It's like the little boy who comes home from school with his homework book and he says, my teacher doesn't like me. And the parent says, what makes you think that? And he says, well, he never marks my homework. He saw that in the marking of his homework, it was a way in which the teacher regarded his work as significant and so he marked it. Well, God regards our lives. This passage makes it so clear He regards our lives intimately, he cares intimately about you and me and our response to him. And so the writer's passionate plea is, don't be one of those who don't trust him and don't obey him. In fact, in the book, he comes back six times to develop six different passages with the same sort of message, Um, watch out. It's a sobering warning for us not to take our faith too easily, or presume upon God. So instead of that, obviously, he says to you and me, do be one of those who enter and enjoy the rest of God's gift. Now he's writing to Christians, um, this man, and he says in chapter 4, verse 1, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. And he gives us, if you like, what is the scripture's final test when he says in 3.14, for we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. In other words, if you keep trusting Jesus through the course of your life and you stand before him, you will enter God's rest. That's the call of all scripture, isn't it? But certainly the call here. And it had a definite poignancy with this group because having come out of the Jewish background, having been Jews, and now having been converted into um, Christianity, Jewish Christianity Christianity as it stands, um, their family and friends were saying, come back, come back. And the writer is saying, if you go back, you give everything up. You don't just go back to where you were, you give everything up. And there's a passage later on where he, he actually lists the things that are you giving up. Uh, which is basically everything. When it comes to our assurance of salvation, the Bible teaches us that there are two realities to hold in balance at the same time. The first one is that God is sovereign, in control over all things. And the initiative for our first response of faith and our ultimate sharing in his rest is because of his grace and mercy. I was reading uh, during the week from Philippians, a little verse that said, God actually initiated my desire to think about him. Even at that very beginning level, he was the one who stimulated that desire. It wasn't me. I would just have sailed on in my life, self-centred, But he initiated that desire and if he hadn't, I'd still be sailing along. So he chooses us, he predestines us, he redeems us in Christ, he seals us as his own and he guarantees us an inheritance with him. He does all of that. That is what he does. That's the first reality. The second one to hold in balance with that is this the writer says in chapter 4 verse 2 we also have received the good news just as they did and god holds us accountable for the response of faith and obedience we give if any so one side is god's sovereignty the other side is our responsibility and although we would like to sort of clarify everything beautifully the bible says Hold those two together at the same time. Like, like two sides of one coin. They're both true. Hold them together at the same time. In this passage, the emphasis is on our responsibility on that side of things. So the emphasis is on is continuing to trust God. See chapter 4 verse 3. For we who have believed enter the rest um, and We let that trust alter the way we live our lives. See verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. So when we say let go and let God, that's true in certain circumstances but not here. We don't just sit down and say I'm a Christian now, let God do whatever he wants to do. God says, hang on, are you taking this seriously? You need to work hard at Putting yourself into situations where your faith can grow. We'll talk about that in a second. In fact, there are two two responses we can make here, Uh, I want to suggest to you. The first one is in verse 12 of chapter 3, where he says, Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. And In verse 11 he says, make every effort to enter that rest. Every effort. So, we take responsibility for our ongoing faith by getting ourselves involved in whatever opportunities we can that will regularly grow our faith and bring spiritual fruitfulness to our lives. We need to stand up and say, what will help me grow in my faith? And very carefully and and deliberately look. So, here's a few practical suggestions. Are you currently reading the Bible in some organised, regular way? If you're not, how are you going to listen to what God has to say to you and know his ways? That was the problem with this group that missed out. They weren't interested in that case. You may be interested, but maybe you could tackle that with more um, deliberateness. Are you setting aside time to pray in some organised, regular way? so that you can nurture a close relationship i think um, since i retired one area i think that i've grown in is the area of prayer why because i can see a need to 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 know christ more intimately or can i say are you assessing your thinking and your behavior on the basis of jesus teaching so that you can modify your behavior Because you want to please Jesus and show that you love him. Good motivation. So that's you and me standing on our own. What are we doing about being strengthened in our faith? But there's another one I want to suggest to you in verse 13 of chapter 3 where he says, But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception what this one is asking is have you placed yourself in a position where you can encourage other Christians to keep being faithful in in their lives uh, and be encouraged uh, and encourage them and also be encouraged by them because our responsibility is not just to ourselves it's to each other and here's some practical suggestions are you a member of one of the connect Bible study groups When you go do you go with a deliberate purpose of uh, inputting to encourage uh, those who are in the group are you practicing coming to church or some other opportunity for Christian fellowship with that deliberate sense of "I, I want to encourage someone in their walk with God and looking for who it might be I don't mean preach a sermon at them but you know what I mean encourage them Share what maybe with what God has done for you during the course of the week or ask them. There are different ways we can do it. We get better at as we practice. So, in conclusion, you're a Christian? Listen to God's warning, not to take our faith in Him for granted, but to keep our trust in the Lord Jesus as our first priority. Keep valuing the blessings he's heaped on you. A thankful heart bring such incredible change to a person's life keep rejoicing in his promises and God will share his rest with you Jesus assures us he will lead us both through the easy and the challenging times to make sure he gets us there remember he's getting us there you're not getting yourself there neither am I he's getting us there you're not a Christian yet? Can you see the wonderful opportunity that flows out of this passage to share personally in God's rest? Can you see this is worth giving up any other thing in your life that might stand in the way? Trust Jesus with your life and your salvation, and God's gift of sharing His rest will be yours too. That's His promise. Finish with this wonderful picture in Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, talking about end things, uh, the gospel growth and and, end things. And it's a statement made about those who found being Christian really hard. Some have lost their lives. And this is what it says. The angel says, This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, the dead who die in the Lord from now on are blessed. Yes, says God's Spirit, let them rest from their labours, for their works follow them. There it is, when it's all fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your reminder in this passage of what you have done for us and what you have prepared for us. Please lay upon our hearts that we not presume upon our relationship with you but take responsibility uh, for our, our um, response uh, in every way we possibly can and give us the wherewithal to encourage each other. That in the end we may see each other stand on that great day or if you bring us, bring, come to get us earlier um, and we might know that you've brought us into your rest as you share it with us. In in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.